Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Thank you so much, Sarah. Great words from Jesus. Two things, to remain in him and to love others. I had a revelation this week about my New Year's resolutions. You guys doing okay with your resolutions? Anyone break them yet? So my resolution, uh, I uh, did a diet like two months ago uh, called the Whole30, and I loved it. And so I was like, for January 1st, I'm going to start the Whole30 diet again. And I did. It was, yeah, it was a great diet. So I was like all fired up, ready to get through the holidays and start this diet. So diet started great first week, going well. Then this last week on Tuesday, we had an event at the church called Let's Talk About Desert City. Let's Taco About Desert City. It was a taco dinner. And I had this crisis, do I hang with the people, you know, a church event, uh, or stay on this diet? And I chose to be all things for all people, and so (laughs) broke the resolution for tacos, and then had a friend come in town, just moved here from Chicago, and we had to take him the very next day uh, to our favorite place to eat, you know, to show him where the staff eats, which was also a taco restaurant. Cafe Rio, if you have been there, yes, yes, the, uh, the sweet barbacoa is amazing. So I was like, well, I mean, I should have tacos here. So I had this revelation, I'm going to keep my resolution of Whole30, but make an exception that anytime I'm offered tacos, I'm allowed to eat tacos. <laughs> yes. That's how change happens, right? But we're, we're at this... New, new start to a new year, it's a new season, and there's always this hope that like, I'm gonna enter into a new year and change who I am. 
So we make resolutions and we think this year is going to be different. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. And, uh, and we, stick, we, we, we make these resolutions that are, sometimes are unrealistic. We don't stick to it. And then like two or three weeks into the new year, we realize that we're the same person we were in 2016. And, uh, and that's okay. Um, but as a church, as we consider this new season, uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about is we want to be committed to, to change. Uh, we, we believe that Christ loves us exactly as we are, but he's calling us to a deeper life with him. He's calling us to change to become more like him. We also realize that change, it doesn't just happen overnight. Change happens over time. And so as we approach this year, what we wanted to talk about are certain rhythms as followers of Jesus that, that will shape us and form us over time. And so we're talking about these ideas that we, or we call them sacred rhythms. They're spiritual disciplines. They're the practices of a follower of Jesus uh, that, that one commits to. And, uh, and so we believe that these sacred rhythms create space in our life for God to work. These sacred rhythms are an arena for God to be on display. And last week we talked about these inward rhythms, uh, the, these rhythms of, of retreating, of solitude, of getting away, of prayer, of fasting, of, of, of abstaining from things, of studying scripture, these reflective inward rhythms that we put into our day and into our week where God forms us over time. And today I want to talk about the outward rhythms. Uh, the outward rhythms, uh, which when we have a, a healthy inward rhythm in our life, it produces good fruit outwardly. There's these different outward rhythms that we're called to as followers of Jesus that, uh, that not only shape us, but become gifts to the world, the world around us. And of the many outward rhythms, we can look at hospitality, we can look at generosity, we can look at gathering with people. Uh, there's this uh, very important one that I want to hone in on today. And it's this outward rhythm of serving, of serving others. This outward rhythm of serving our neighbors, our community, being committed to serving. And I want to talk about serving as an outward rhythm uh, for two reasons. The first is um, Jesus places an absolutely high value on serving. When Jesus is with his disciples towards the end of his life at the Last Supper, he, he starts to redefine greatness and redefine leadership as one who serves. He says, I'm among you as one who serves. And when the disciples are trying to figure out who Jesus is, where he's going, how great they're going to be, uh, Jesus pulls out a towel and he washes their feet. And Jesus says, unless you can do this, you can have no part in me. I'm among you as one who serves. So Jesus puts like a huge emphasis on this idea of serving those around us. The second reason I think we need to talk about serving is that we, we live in a culture uh, of entitlement. We live in a culture of uh, privilege. And that's okay. Um, even as Tim said earlier, that, that's something that is, uh, it, it's truly a blessing. But with it, there are these unintended consequences. As we live in this culture of privilege and entitlement, something happens to our soul. And this is very evident, I think, uh, if, if you disagree with it, when you just think of the concept of going out to eat at a restaurant. I remember growing up, I would love to give like, people serving at a restaurant, a waiter, a hard time. And then I worked at a restaurant. <laughs> I worked at Red Lobster in Anderson, Indiana. 
I don't know how they get lobster there, but, uh, and it was a very humbling experience. And, and you think about the concept of like going out to eat. Like you, you go somewhere to, to a different location from your house and you sit down and someone comes out and they wait on you. And they, they ask you how your day is going, they get you something to drink, and then you get to order food from this great selection. And then you don't have to like hunt for the food or like, you know, clean the food and prepare it. You don't have to like garden for the food. The food's prepared for you. And sometimes if you're at a, a place, they might even bring out free bread, right? And, and then not only do they prepare the food for you, but they bring it out and they serve it to you, like on display. And they, they ask you, how is it? And like you have this moment where you're like, you get to make a judgment on it, right? And then you eat and you have this wonderful, they come out and they, they, they take care of you. And then after you're done eating, they take the plate away. You don't even have to do the dishes. They do the dishes for you. And then they, they clean the table behind you. And obviously like you're, you're paying for this. But when you think of like the process of what goes into that meal, and then we, we talk about experience, like did you have a good experience, right? And, and we've all had those like bad dining experiences. But when you think about the process that goes into it, there's this reminder that, like, you know, we, we do have this sense of entitlement. And serving has a way of putting things into perspective when we serve others. And so Jesus talks about this idea of serving um, as, as a leadership, as a, as a discipleship issue. But then there's something inside of us that happens when we serve others that kind of puts things into perspective, something in our own soul. And so as we consider serving, I want to just kind of look at three stories and draw some observations. So we're going to be hopping around a little bit. But the first story is in Luke chapter 5, this outward rhythm of serving. Let me just read through this story. Luke chapter 5 says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake, the people were, uh, were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. And they were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything. And they followed him. Now, considering this story, a couple observations. Um, I'm not great at fishing, uh, but I love history. And when you enter into the life of a first century fisherman in this uh, part of the world, near the Sea of Galilee, in this town that Peter's in, 
We find that this town, it's a small town, there's probably about 500 people living, 5,000 people living in the, the town that Peter's in, and there, there's people in the surrounding towns. And Peter was a fisherman. Simon Peter was a fisherman. He lived off the lake. And the type of fishing that they would do is that they would go out at night. They had the certain equipment that they had, the netting that they had, uh, was, was best for catch, catching fish at night. So it was hard to catch fish in the day with these nets. So they would go out at night and they would fish all night long. And after uh, an all night, uh, a night of fishing, they would, they would come in in the morning and they would turn in their catch to the market. And then they would clean their nets and they would have a warm meal and then they would go sleep, sleep the morning away. And some of the men out there are probably like, that sounds wonderful. Fish all night with your buddies, come in, get a warm meal, and then sleep all morning, right? Uh, and, and, and so Peter would do this, and they would go through this process of cleaning the nets after a night of work, and they would be exhausted. They'd be absolutely tired. It reminds me of like when my family goes to the beach, and we play at the beach all day, and then when we're pulling the kids off the beach, we're trying to like rinse them down, rinse down all the equipment, trying to get the sand off it. It's kind of a process. And they're cleaning the nets because they know they want to protect their equipment. And Jesus is there in the story, and he's teaching this crowd and it says that he sees the fishermen, and the crowd starts to get too big. So Jesus has this idea. It's something that rabbis would do. Uh, they, would, they would get out on a boat, go out into a lake, into a cove. And they would go into a cove, and the crowds would gather around the, cro- the cove, and it would create this natural amphitheater, so it would project their voice. And as Jesus saw the crowds getting bigger, he realized, I probably need to get into a boat and go to a cove. And he sees Peter, and Peter's cleaning his nets, which means... He's done with his work. He's cleaned the equipment. He's ready for a meal and a nap. And Jesus says to Peter, would you get back in the boat and row me out into this cove so that I can teach? And you try to imagine like Peter's response is probably like, I mean, he's finishing his work day. He's exhausted. And he's like, sure, yeah, okay. I'll do that, that's fine. Knows that Jesus is a rabbi. Know that this guy's a pretty big deal. I could do this. You know, it's kind of inconvenient for me, but I'll do it. And he takes Jesus out, and who knows how long Jesus preaches. Uh, Jesus teaches out on that boat. It could have been 30 minutes. It could have been a couple hours. It could have been all morning. But they get done. He gets done teaching. And as the crowds start to dispense, Peter's like, whew, finally, I can go home, get my meal, take a nap. And Jesus says, Peter, why don't you go back out and start fishing again? Why don't you go grab those nets that you just cleaned and go back out into the lake. Let's go get some fish. If you're Peter at that point, what's your response? Really? <laughs> you want to do that right now? If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, you know, you're, you're a rabbi. So if it's, hey, we're talking about the Torah, man, you're the expert, but I'm a professional fisherman and I know you can't catch fish like this in the daytime. This is night fishing out here. This is, and we were out all night and we didn't catch anything. There's no fish right now. And Jesus says, no, get, get back in the boat. Grab your nets, let's go. So, so Peter does this very ordinary, inconvenient service to Jesus. And then at this point, you know, Peter's response is like, sure, I'll do it. And like, we don't know like the tone of voice Peter uses in the story. I, I can only imagine that he's kind of snide, right? And I think that because of his response after they catch the fish. They go back out and they throw their nets back into the water and they have this miraculous catch of fish. And the catch of fish is so 
amazing that he calls his partner out. The boat comes out and their boats are sinking. Like what's going on? This isn't just like normal fishing. There's something like miraculous happening in this moment. So much so that Peter feels convicted. He realizes that he's in the presence of something supernatural. This is not like a normal occurrence. And he has this moment where he just breaks down. He realizes realizes that something special is taking place here. If I can make an observation about Peter serving in this moment, I would say that when it comes to serving, obedience to Christ leads to true fulfillment. Obedience to Christ leads to true fulfillment. I would say that obedience of Christ, there's this blessing that is there for Peter. Now, don't hear what I'm, I'm not saying, that this is, like, this is, this sounds very religious, like if you do a good thing, then God will do a good thing for you. This isn't, uh, this isn't that. But what's happening here is Peter is, out of obedience to something Christ has called him to, he's doing a very ordinary yet inconvenient task, and he has placed himself in the path of the Son of God. Something supernatural is at work here, because Peter, out of obedience, is serving He's doing this task that Christ has called him to. And what we find is that Christ takes care of him for it. There's this abundant catch of fish. As a good American, as a capitalist, I'm like calculating in my head what this catch of fish would be uh, as money, you know, like, wow, you got this great, but this isn't, but Peter, here's the interesting thing. Peter leaves the fish. Something deeper happens here in this ordinary task that he's called to, this inconvenient task where he's obedient to Christ He leaves everything and steps into this brand new calling. He steps into this new purpose, this new identity. He leaves the fish behind to follow Jesus. When we're obedient to our ordinary yet inconvenient task, we put ourselves in the path of the supernatural God who is at work in our world. When we serve, when we're obedient to what God has called us to in little things, we're all of a sudden exposed to something supernatural. We see that in the life here of Peter. Second story. This story is uh, really super interesting to me. And it's not told very often, but in Acts chapter 9, there's a story about uh, this woman. And it says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Like, what an interesting detail. Like, Dorcas. There's a lot of uh, new babies in the church, a lot of girls being born. Consider Dorcas is a name. It's like her name is Tabitha, but in Greek it's Dorcas. Like, like interesting detail. Anyways, I hope no one here is named that or has an aunt named that. I'm sorry. Her name is Dorcas, and it says this: She was always good. She was always doing good and helping the poor. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, he sent two men, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. 
And he took her by the hands and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. Many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. What an interesting story. This woman named Dorcas commits to serving the poor. And what we find is that she's making clothing for these widows. Very ordinary task. Very ordinary task. And after she passes away, these widows are advocating for her. They call Peter and they're like, look at all of the things that this woman has done for us. There's this great heartbreak when she's gone. I had this uncle uh, who, when I was in college, he used to send me $50 a month. And he would send me, he called it my, my soda and chip money. And uh, he, would, he would write these letters and he would say, you don't, have to, you don't have to say thank you, you don't have to return anything, just take the money. And it was great for me because I was in college and working at Red Lobster. Uh, my rent was like $80 a month. And I also was working in an auditorium for like minimum wage. So like things were pretty tight. Like I donated my plasma to make money and I almost died. It was terrible. Um, but like $50 made a huge difference in my life. And I, and I remember how like I get that like once a month. This like it was almost like this this hidden service he would do. He didn't tell anybody. But my parents had no idea. And he would just say, you don't need to say anything. You don't need to say thank you. Just, just it's for, for you to get by in college. And I remember uh, he passed away right about the time I graduated college and, and going to his funeral. And this is one of those, it was like one of these Dorca, Dorcas moments where you start finding out after you go to a funeral and you start finding out what a person does for people. All these hidden acts of kindness. And you start hearing story after story, much like mine, of uh, this man serving people in ways that were hidden. And there's something, I think, very unique and special about serving without expecting anything in return. There's something about serving in ways that are hidden where you're not trying to bring glory to yourself. You're just trying to make life better for other people. I think there's a hiddenness to serving that needs to be recovered in our culture. What we find with Dorcas, she's doing these small, ordinary tasks. She's not getting rich off it. She's not getting glory out of it. And yet it leads to these widows advocating for her life. There's this hiddenness when we serve others that deals with our own entitlement. This is why I think Jesus wants us to serve. It's a reminder that life isn't all about me. Life is about what God is doing in this world. And when we're able to serve in ways that are hidden, what we find is that we gain credibility in our community. We don't serve for credit. We don't serve to lift ourselves up. But we serve because God calls us to it. And I think we live in a culture where the church needs to serve the community. Uh, for its own credibility. Not to say, look at us, not to say, look how great we are, because we have a broken world around us. These hidden acts of service give us credibility in our culture. 
Richard Foster, who wrote The Celebration of Discipline, talks about this idea of hidden service. And he talks about what it does for our own soul in this culture of entitlement. He says, nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving and hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and it pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. The hidden service denies our pride and our arrogance. We serve in hiddenness. In subtle ways, making clothes for widows. And I think, much like Peter, Dorcas, the other observation is when you serve faithfully and you commit to something over time, you open up the possibility for the miraculous. And for, in Dorcas's life, uh, serving faithfully day after day, week after week, month after month, she gets to this point where she passes away and these people advocate for her. And she's raised from the dead. It's not to say that if you're going to serve, God's going to raise you from the dead right here and now. But what I would say is that when we serve faithfully, it's the, it's the, the highway that, that the miraculous travels through. And we want to see miracles in our day. We want to see revival in our culture. We have to be willing to serve those around us. Third story, and this is where for Jesus, I feel like, man, it starts to get real. In Matthew 25, this is a story that you've probably heard before. As Jesus is talking about the end of time, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he takes it to the opposite, and he looks at those who are unrighteous. And he says, those, the things that you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. And there's this judgment that comes. This God of justice invites us to take care of people in this world, those who are around us, to the point where he says, this is even a defining characteristic of what it means to follow me. And then he makes this connection. If you want to love God, you have to love others around you. For in the act of loving others, loving others around you, you're loving me. We make an observation. When it comes to serving, action leads to a true encounter with Christ. Last week we talked about abiding in Christ, experiencing the presence of God through these inward rhythms. 
But this outward rhythm, we experience God as well. As we interact with people in our world, as we interact with the least of these, we encounter Jesus. There's this abiding that happens not only in our inward rhythms, but in our outward rhythms. There's this abiding of being with Christ as we're with those who are broken and hurting and needed. There's a lot going on in this passage, but one of the things Jesus does is he makes this connection between loving God and loving others. We're called to serve those around us. So today as we move towards communion, something to consider. How are you serving? How are you serving people in your life? Maybe it starts in your home. How are you serving your family? How are you serving your neighbors? How are you serving a church? How are you serving your workplace? What are the things that God has called you to that are ordinary and sometimes inconvenient? But it's the place where God's work happens. Maybe our prayer today is, God, make us aware of the work that you're doing around us here and now. Open our eyes to what's going on through obedience and faithfulness, through not having to take credit for things. We gain credibility in this culture. As Tim comes up, we're gonna close just with a time of communion. And as we close, uh, we move to the elements. We do this each week. And this communion represents the sacred story that we're a part of. As we move to communion, we take bread. And that bread represents the body of Christ, God incarnate here on earth. As we take bread, it's broken. It's symbolic that this God who loved us so much he came and he lived here and he broke his body open. And we take juice that represents blood, blood that's shed on the cross. And we believe that the sacred act on the cross where God breaks his body open and he pours his blood out is an atonement. All of our brokenness, all the ways that we've sought credit all of the ways that we've sought fulfillment in this world, all of the ways that we've missed the mark of what God has designed. The punishment of that, the consequences of that is absorbed on the cross as God breaks his body open and he pours his blood out. There's this work that is done for us. And we take the bread and the, the juice as a reminder we proclaim what God has done. But then there's also this reminder that this work that was done for us on the cross, we're invited to join in this work in this world. So not only do we take it and give thanks and proclaim it, but we enter into this story where this continuing work of the church, the body of Christ, breaks itself open and it pours itself out for our world. So we proclaim it and we live it. And today as we go to the communion table, 
Let us give thanks for this work that God has done for us, but also this work that God is doing in us and through us in this world. And may we come aware of the ways that we need to serve the world around us. I'm gonna pray. When you're ready, feel free to move to the communion. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for these stories, these stories that are so ancient and yet are so prevalent. These stories that transcend time and culture. These stories that are your word, that reveal your heart, that puncture our soul. And Lord, today I just pray that you would speak to us in ways that are transformative. As we consider this new year and how we want to change, you start to reveal these rhythms in our life that are so formative that we commit to. Inward, outward. We create space to encounter you and to join your work. So Lord, now we give thanks. We proclaim the story and we join you. In your sons and we pray, amen.